Today's podcast is sponsored by Second Harvest Food Bank, a nonprofit dedicated to helping fight hunger in the greater Nashville area. Did you know that one in seven Middle Tennesseans struggle with hunger every day? This September helps Second Harvest raise awareness on social media so that more of our neighbors understand the problem. Here's how. Step one, grab a paper plate. Step two, write what you can't do on an empty stomach, like I can't focus on work or I don't have the energy to get through the day. Step three, share your photo online using hashtag HungerActionTN and tag Second Harvest on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. It takes a full stomach to keep going. We need to make sure that no child, adult, or senior ever runs on empty. Hello, and welcome to the Nashville Scenecast. I'm Stephen Trageser, music editor here at The Scene, coming to you from the ugliest building in the Gulch. On September 18th, Depeche Mode, a British band that played a key role in shepherding synth-pop into the mainstream, plays its first show in Nashville since a dramatically underattended stop in 1988. You can see footage of the nearly empty Starwood Amphitheater in the documentary film 101 that was made about that tour. The group had no trouble selling out Ascend Amphitheater for Monday's gig, however. That's something you could possibly attribute to Nashville's changing demographics, as well as to how so much contemporary pop music bears the band's influence. In this week's paper, we invited two of the biggest Depeche Mode fans we know to break down their favorite tracks. Adam Gold and Jason Sean have also come down to the office to help us dig a little deeper into the complexities of Depeche Mode's work. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and remember to rate and leave a comment. Thanks for listening. I'm here with Adam Gold. Hi. And Jason Sean. Hello. Um, I guess uh, to begin with, uh, just kind of let's kind of do a little bit of a softball here. Um, uh, how how did you become a Depeche Mode fan, uh, Jason? Um, I I remember hearing People Are People on the radio in '84, '85, and that was you know that was their big pop breakthrough. Um, and I liked the message of it. And you know I've always loved disco. Like I grew up listening to that sort of stuff. Um, I never saw guitars as an essential part of anything. So um, I was you know I was feeling it because it was it was a tough sound, even though it was considered like a a wimpy music. I mean that was the, that was the general statement about synth pop. It's wimpy. It's gay. It was very very homophobic perspective on things but I always flocked to it because I mean like you had these machines that you could do all sorts of things with so I loved possibilities even at an early age um, and I liked that and I, I remember like getting some great reward on a cassette and uh, one of the other tracks on there is It Doesn't Matter which is my absolute favorite of theirs and I was just like I'm going to have to pay attention to these people you know I didn't have the language for that but you know it's like when you're a kid it was like when I heard Purple Rain it's just like I need to stay on the same page as these people for as long as I can Dude, that's fantastic that's a uh, that's cool that it hit you that way uh, were you were you living in Nashville when they came and played on the 101 tour Oh God! The music for the masses tour in eighty nine at, at Starwood with OMD opening. I wanted to go so bad, 
but my mom would not let me go alone. Although, granted, if you looked at it now, a synth pop show is the safest place for your like like proto gay kid at thirteen. Like there's there there's no safer place to be than a synth pop show. But uh, my friend who was going to take me got grounded, so I was not allowed to go, and I was very sad. And it's whenever that scene comes up in one hundred and one that shows like nobody at Starwood, I'm just like we could have made a difference. <laughs> Uh, I, let me break in for a second. Uh, yeah. Like, um, how how old are you? If you don't mind me asking, I'm 42. Okay, so I'm I'm 36. So uh-huh. just getting the, the sense of um, your age at the time. Yeah, like, yeah. I was you know I was I was like uh, too too young to drive there myself, but uh, I wanted to go real bad. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess like I have some interesting I guess kind of contrasts mm-hmm. in sort of my um, I guess childhood. Uh, um, Exposure to Depeche Mode. Mm-hmm. Um, well, a couple things I, well, you need to like. Um, think about guitar music. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. Uh, this might have to be fact checked, but I remember reading this a long time ago mm-hmm. that Martin Gore actually writes Depeche Mode songs on acoustic guitar. Yeah, no, it's that's true. true, right? It okay. is true. Yeah, yeah, and so the, it's which is always interesting. I mean, in, a, in terms of a, it's in a songwriting craftsman sense, like you know, if it mm-hmm. can be you know played and sang on an acoustic guitar. Um, like I always think, you ever heard? There's a version of uh, "I Want You Now" from Violator Tour where mm-hmm. he, Martin would play it by himself. Oh yeah, and yeah. sing like acoustic, and it's like mm-hmm. a totally different song. You can kind of see how that sausage is made. Oh yeah. And so, like, um, as an aside, it's always an interesting uh, thing to me that that it it could be it could have been a guitar band. Oh, absolutely, you know, in yeah. a sense. And then certain hits definitely are that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I came to the band. Um, I mean, I remember being nine. And walk, and always seeing uh, like enjoy the silence, mm-hmm. you know, during their mega video era, during the Violator era, uh-huh. oh, the, um, the Anton Corbin videos, which were yeah. these incredible visual statements. So yeah. I was always, and for me, like it was as a kid, I was always completely intertwined with the visual element mm-hmm. of the band, um, which uh, to me always came off as sort of tough and dark. Mm-hmm. That period, you know, period was tougher and darker, but like mm-hmm. um, I remember. I, you know, would always get excited when like the "Enjoy the Silence" video came on, and, and yeah. all of it was like way over my head at the time. But mm-hmm. it's still this very creepy, um, austere video for this this very um, dire sounding song. Yeah, and, and actually, I, you put that on your list. That would actually is my like number one favorite uh-huh. Depeche song, um, and one of my like probably five favorite songs of all time by anybody. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just remember how yeah the video with him. You know, he's got the Kings. King's robe and, and crown. He's like walking through um, beautiful, desolate landscapes. <laughs> yeah, it's not the Alps. It's like somewhere I'm forgetting where in Europe it was. It might have been Switzerland. Switzerland. Yeah, I think, I guess it was yeah. Switzerland. And he's just carrying a deck chair. Yeah. But it's it very much captures this feeling of um, isolation and loneliness and mm-hmm. like being small in the scope of the world and all that. You know, obviously, I didn't really understand the meaning of it necessarily, mm-hmm. but I but certainly the um, the uh, visceral impact mm-hmm. of it. Um, always stuck with me as a kid. So, um, kind of later in life, when I was becoming more and more of a music nerd, mm-hmm. started with that record and kind of 
mm-hmm. worked back. Well, um, I mean, Violator is such a great. Yeah, record. it's like a perfect. I mean, perfect it's record. like it's it's the one that the the the, the uh, one of the most essential resources for them is when they did the the two disc reissues a few mm-hmm. years back. The DVDs that have the five point one mixes of the albums. Also, every album gets a documentary about the making of it. Right. And one of the the funniest thing is that like you know they're they're interviewing all of them separately, and every one of them is just like, "Oh no, Violator is the best." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes you just know it's it's like one of those records that um every song it's great also has a perfect sequencing to it so like you know uh, enjoy the silence goes into policy of truth Mm -hmm. and just those two songs i always feel like uh some of the the relationship songs Mm -hmm. that um or even confrontational relationship songs uh, lyrically don't really sound like something you'd actually tell someone in in a relationship it's it's like the conversation you have in your head with them like when you're not actually with you know with them (laughs) and um you know, enjoy the science, which is less is more. Say, you know, saying less is more, and you, you can only oh, like, kind of hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. And policy truth kind of goes in policy truth, which is also like mm-hmm. how you once you make yourself vulnerable to someone and like reveal your secrets, mm-hmm. then they have this power over you. And so, yeah. you know, and then and then you have to confront the basically the moral universe that you've set up with this other person. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no. It's, and they're talking about the videos, I love the fact that they stuck with Anton Corbin for their videos for so long because there's this amazing visual through line, right. Just in those, because they they always approached from from a very specific uh, visual space, and I love that. And I love I love grainy eight millimeter black and white. It's just it, it works. It, yeah, it's always it's always a good thing when a musical artists can find a visual stylist who understands. Mm-hmm their music so well as, you know? as the refrain in shake the disease says understand me right 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 right. <laughs> one thing i forgot to mention though um you're talking about the the starwood show uh-huh. and so one of the the uh areas where like where i come to it's different like first of all I, I was exposed to a lot of new wave stuff in that era just because um you know my sister's 10 years older than me 11 mm-hmm. years older than me so like was way into like K Rock, you know, growing growing up in Southern California and, ah. and way into a lot of that stuff. So I, I had very, you know, was exposed to a lot of it, you know, vis a vis that. But also, Los Angeles was always the band's biggest market. And in 101, the whole thing is they're headlining the Rose Bowl, which yeah. is one of the biggest stadiums in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I, 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 Depeche Mode wasn't seen, seen as this subversive kind of band there. Mm-hmm. They're much more. Like I think if you if you hadn't been outside of mm-hmm. you know growing up in LA, it's like oh this is these are just huge pop stars, mm-hmm. um, and had been there for longer, you know. Yeah, it's well, it's it was it was always funny to me because you had like the mainstream crossover elements. I mean, like pretty much with every album, there was at least one that made some sort of inroads. But yeah, you can totally see like depending on the market you were, yeah. um, and you know it's the same with New York here, and it's just like for the longest time there it felt like trying to be a synth pop fan in nashville was right. like pulling teeth so like the you know the my one thing about new nashville that i'm eternally grateful for is that like we get synth pop shows again right <laughs> it's like thank god also you know you get um it's it's it also is, is emblematic of just a different era when yeah. radio wasn't um so homogenized and yeah. different bands would you know if you in the in seventies or the eighties, you know, if if you lived in Southern California, you'd mm-hmm. be where, well more aware of uh, Depeche Mode and, and the Cure and bands like that, or the Smiths or who, or whoever. Just 
Um, also because there's 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 a whole element of, of the Hispanic population mm-hmm. that are huge fans. Like you go to I've seen Depeche Mode at Staples Center three times. You go mm-hmm. and half the crowd is, is Hispanic. I mm-hmm. doubt you know, I don't want to guess, but I doubt that would happen at you know, in Nashville. I'm not sure. Um, I'd like that's the thing that I love is that like going to shows for for bands that I've loved for a while that like, you know, didn't have a huge draw here before mm-hmm. is just like it's it's an amazing surprise it's yeah uh, yeah it's true um so I'm, but, I'm i'm just grateful for it like when that when they sold out the show at ascend I'd like so quickly i was just like th- i felt like some form of cosmic <laughs> justice had been righted it's yeah. uh, it's strange it's uh but um, it's a, it's such a good feeling to know that like you know that's like growing up when they were you know like for me here they were sort of like a you know they were like a ninety one rock band right like I mean even when they even when they weren't getting played on like you know the pop stations you know ninety one was devoted uh, to what they were doing and there was there was something really reassuring about that and then um, right right before Violator you know after one hundred one and the Personal Jesus twelve inch came out and they had that you know shut down la for a day because of that and And record store signing and then all of a sudden it's like all the all the the people around me at that point i was in high school um who were you know who were not necessarily into like that style of synth pop or anything and all of a sudden they're like they're talking about them like you know like in excess or u2 i mean like they sort of they sort of leveled up and it's and it it's a joyful experience for me but at the same time i'll have to confess the first time i heard uh i feel you i was just like oh god they've become a rock band (laughs) and you know that's that's you know they've always their sound is their sound and i you know i always find something to enjoy in everything you like that song now though um, I'm okay with it. I think "Walking in My Shoes" is the best song off of uh, "Songs of Faith really? and Devotion." Because I, I do like "I Feel You" a lot, and I, uh-huh. I considered putting it on my list. But uh-huh. um, I mean, it's 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 a, it's a good song. It does its own thing. I was at a <laughs> um a, the one time I went to a Jumbo's Clown Room in L.A. And uh, one of the dancers put on uh, "I Feel You," and I was just like, and it was like it changed the dynamic of the room. It was like Prince's "Darling Nikki." It was just like it just like flipped a switch, and I was just like, this is fascinating to observe. Yeah. A point I wanted to touch on that um, Adam that you had brought up actually was about how Depeche Mode works as a band. Something that's sort of interesting is that that in a way, like like any great band you know it's great you know whole greater than the sum of the parts mm-hmm. um the way that uh depeche mode seems to function um is very much like a rock band um in terms of the yeah. creative you know like um to me the, the closest example is like something like the who where you have mm-hmm. martin gore sort of your your pete townsend as songwriter he's really the you know sort of the brain uh behind a, a lot of you know a lot of music he's the the, the um I mean, he's, he's, he's the primary yeah, song, right? He's, yeah. yeah. There are a few exceptions along the way, but I mean, that's his. That's pretty much right. his. Like, and except on the first album when it's Vince Clark, right? Um, and then you know, Gahan is like the you know prototypical rock star mm-hmm. in his way. You know, is is a, is a Daltrey-esque kind of figure. You mm-hmm. know, really um, the one who lives the hardest. Yeah, yeah. And then the other guys are sort of like you know the hands, um, and, oh, and then and Alan Wilder is you know he's the sort of creative. He's like the. Um, you know, the, almost the Keith Moon or the Ent Whistle or something. Yeah, I remember the Ent Whistle because John Ent Whistle is, is is really the lead guitar player in the Who. He's the one who who um, layers the, the gaps and then so much melodic movement. It's it's not been the same since Alan's gone, right? Yeah, and I, losing him, I mean, like I've still I've I've liked a lot of stuff since then, 
but it's it's never been quite the same. And um, yeah, and it just his first record was was um, construction construction time, time again. So he was, was their construction time through uh, Faith and Devotion, right. which is like a ten year exactly like a ten year yeah. span. Mm-hmm. I mean, most bands are lucky if they if they can have a winning streak that goes for ten years. Yeah. You know, that's how you become kind of a classic band. So it's like. Mm-hmm. In a way, you know, you have bands with their early period, and then then their, mm-hmm. you know, like a bell curve of their commercial and creative peak mm-hmm. happening simultaneously, and then the band after that is, is is sort of a legacy act that, you know, sometimes the best you can hope for for a legacy act is for them to not embarrass themselves. Yeah, and I think Depeche Mode's actually, you know, their their the legacy of their great albums mm-hmm. colors so much that there there's actually I think material after that that's kind of underrated. Oh, oh, absolutely, but, yeah. But some of it. There's some of it that's like the last two records, not the current record, but the, mm-hmm. the last two records. For I thought were just okay, you mm-hmm. know. The new one I think is really good, and I think playing the angel is really good. Playing the angel um, is is playing the angel made me like have have a moment that I hadn't had with them for a while. Like, um, right. uh, Exciter is the ultra. I was just like, okay, what is going on here? Yeah. Um, but the. I mean, it's it's so weird, like that. You know, they've they've continued to evolve, and because it was there from the beginning, you know, when Vince Clark left right after Speak and Spell, and they're like, okay, we can do this, and yeah. so you know, and that's when they became themselves, really. Yeah, I mean. yeah, and that's why Broken Frame is such a fascinating thing because it's like, you know, it's ostensibly the same lineup as now, although they've got um, Eigner and uh, uh, yeah, Dave's yeah. other associate guy doing guitars and drums and stuff, but um, it's still, you know, like I'm and I'm okay with that, but it's just like you know when I when I think Think of my dream lineup. It's always it's always with Alan. Yeah, <laughs> he did come back for a show like a few yeah, years ago. Like, yeah, yeah, and, and Robert Hall or something. Oh God, yeah. The, the <laughs> YouTube videos just like cry my face off. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, but it's it's true. I mean, they're they're you know, uh, Songs of Faith and Devotion is their last um, classic, mm-hmm. uh, classic yeah. sort of essential record. Yeah. Um, and then considered the most decadent tour, yeah, uh, <laughs> in in music history. They like like they like mm-hmm. all the roadies and teamsters and stuff. They like basically. Uh, like everyone was just like, man, we can barely barely believe we survived, and like, you know, these are hard hitting like roadie dudes. I I love yeah. that, and that's also when Gahan got really into yeah that heroin was heroin addiction, and I mean, I mean, he almost died. He did, yeah. He tried to kill himself too. Yeah, um, and it's so, but it's he looks so, great. I mean, you see him now; he looks great. Yeah, and yeah I mean, it's, it's like they've the, it's and I'm, I'm they've just, aged well. Yeah, it's a bit, you know, physically they've aged well, but mm-hmm. but the music's aged well. But they've also you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like going out and looking at looking at a band on stage and seeing the Eagles, oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. or, or like they're like, uh, you know, dressed for a round of golf or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, that's 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 never something. And like the thing that's great about them is that like they've become so much more. I mean, they were always socially aware, yeah. But like now, like their big thing at every show is they're doing major stuff with the, uh, which is the group that that makes sure that there's clean drinking water in developing um, countries and stuff. And I, you know, I'm just like, I'm for that. I yeah. like, you know, it's, you know, I'm I'm all for anybody wanting to like use their their star power for good. And I'm just like, yeah, absolutely. Do the, that. the current record is like kind of their actually most politically direct record. Oh, it's very politically um, direct. Yeah, because I mean they've. I think there's there's elements of, of politics mm-hmm. in in certain songs and, and whatnot, but but um, they they always so had that, yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's it's some of it's sort of cloaked in um, comparing to to maybe relationship politics or, or sort of this, yeah. You know, although uh, new dress is pretty direct, yeah. Although b- b- because it's specifically dealing with like uh, British stuff, but yeah, that's that's the one that always uh, 
struck me as like you know because I never had I never had strong opinions about British politics in the eighties although God Thatcher and all of that but then you listen to that song now and it's like it's it works in any sort of political context yeah. it just specifically approaches it through Diana I, I, I'll probably admit that um, most most of my knowledge of British uh, politics is. Uh-huh by way of um, pop music or punk rock or, like, or basically through, through uh, some form of rock music. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, it's, which, is, which is what's great, which is what, it, it's one of the things that makes the, the internet age so weird is that like, now that you have immediate access to everything, it's, you're not like getting gradual exposure to like new social movements right. and things. It's all I- immediate and... Um, and uh, you can look up the song reference in like a Billy Bragg song. You yeah, know, yeah. Rather than having to figure it out for yourself, but it's yeah no it's it's great. I mean like and, and again ninety one rock that was one of the things that it was like getting it was like an alternate form of news at that point mm-hmm. in, you know the late eighties and stuff because like you would get you would hear things that you wouldn't hear you would hear my life with the thrill kill cult you know you just like this things that you would think make other Nashville radio stations explode and um, yeah <laughs> they are very dancey band with yes very um, you know well-constructed hooks um which is ultimately the way to seduce anybody into the rest of of what's going on you know um (laughs) one of the things uh jason that you had brought up uh that about depeche mode's catalog that i thought was really interesting was you know how they there's no sexual philosophy that isn't covered in their songwriting oh absolutely i I, I thought that was like I don't know. Would you mind expanding on that a little? Well, I, the thing about them that I love, and it was like you know when I first started getting into the older stuff after in, in, in the mid '80s, on Speak and Spell there is a song called "What's Your Name," um, and you know the refrain is "Hey, hey, you're such a pretty boy. Hey, 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 you're a pretty boy. You're so pretty." And it's like Depeche Mode is all straight dudes, but the fact of the matter is that synth pop at that time was such a gay identified thing, at least in the U.S. That like you know that that like Vince at the time was just like no 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 we should record this song and like the guys laugh about it now but it's sort of like it's they they sort of just got even despite being all straight people they got grandfathered into like pantheon of like gay music because it's just like out of appreciation for that and Wait, then you, you, said, you said Vince kind of doubled down on that in a way in, in Erasure with Erasure yeah yeah because yeah. for those who know, like so Vince Clark was the original sort of principal songwriter in Depeche mm-hmm. Mode who left. Mm-hmm. Depeche Mode after the first record and created Yaz, yeah, and created Yaz or Yazoo, yeah, yeah. Um, and also Erasure. So mm-hmm. this is a guy who founded like three of the biggest, you know, the, uh, synth pop, you know, defining synth pop bands. That's why for me, like, there's like pre, uh, like Martin Gore was just a musician in Depeche Mode who once Vince left took over as the songwriter kind of mm-hmm. like I think I can do this you know like yeah and he um, did he wait, sure uh, did yeah I mean he, he <laughs> created a different uh, almost you know it's a different band to me yeah um, so I mean I always see like the, the very early Depeche Mode stuff is part of like the Vince Clark canon uh-huh. uh, you know almost a footnote in the Vince mm-hmm. Clark canon um, in its way and then well actually that's probably reductive yeah I don't know if it's a footnote but I like mean, but it's, still- it's part of, you know I mean it's, it's part of his um more his imprimatur or whatever. Yeah, and then, yeah. And then um, it's his you know, Depeche Mode, as we know, it starts after that, really. Yeah. It's a, but Speak and Spell, it's still a killer record. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Um, but the... Uh, oh, God. But, yeah, but, but then also, um, on uh, Some Great Reward, you've got Master and Servant, which is the first, like, full-on S&M pop song that's, just, mm-hmm. that's not... It's not 
couching anything in, in veiled metaphors. It is very forthright. Um, and then music for the masses, like the jo- I love that album. That's probably yeah. my favorite album of theirs. And the the joke for the longest time was that like one of the easiest ways to find out which of your friends were into kink was to like look in their record collection if they had music for the masses. <laughs> that was always a good sign. That's like that's like like when you, when you when you decide to be to embrace your kinks, apparently you get a copy of music for the masses in the mail. Which because uh, I mean, that's a record love. too. That yeah, and and that's what has like I want you now and and so that, that's a, the, the desire record yeah um and like you know yeah coming clean with with Mm -hmm. uh you know your subconscious whatever your issues are at the time um, yeah but they but they've also got jailbait songs and i love they've got two of them question of time and little 15 both uh and it's just like because you don't you know you think of because of the the unearned epithet of like synth pop as being like you know like queerish and stuff you don't think that it's gonna have like underage girl songs but it totally does was there almost like a connection to you know they're like uh, martin gore especially the, and, and actually well uh dave gahan probably even more like they're very a very bowie obsessed band like yeah. very on the sl- uh, you know mm-hmm. on the sleeve about um being you know sort of david bowie is is a muse for the band oh very and, much so, yeah. and do you think that's a, something that ties in you know with the, with almost the the androgynous element or like yeah. playing with um well and i sexual roles and, and and all that very much so and i and i also think it's the fact that like it's part of what you said about martin is that like he's such an amazing songwriter that he's you know he's he's got that bowie approach of like trying on identities with songs and you know like rather than like writing something and just being like okay well this doesn't fit what I'm about, you know, he has this encompassing thing that's just like, no, yeah. no, no, this reinforces what I'm about. And that, that, it's, that it's a complex array yeah. of experiences. And yeah, because the emotional uh, element of it is, is universal part. Yeah. You know, regardless of, of where you fall, you know, mm-hmm. on the spectrum of, you know, sexuality, it's, it's uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the takeaways are, are pretty universal. Um, also, think it's worth interjecting, I guess on this current, you know, for spoiler alert style, like uh, this current tour, they're, they're covering Heroes. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. It's like in, in, in their encore set. Is there any any one breakout thing that you would that you would hope for that uh, you think maybe you have a chance of seeing or or? Uh... Um, I honestly, I mean, I trust the band. I, I've like when I saw them in Tampa, it was such a it was such a beautiful and overwhelming experience. Like honestly, I I'm psyched to see the audience at this. I want to see like. Who who is the Nashville audience for a sold out synth pop show? You know, because it's something that I used to dream about. That you know, like when I was way way younger, I was just like, I want more people to like this, the things that I like. You know, like everybody's like that to a certain extent. Yeah. But I just like you know, I I can see like people my age who have kids already. Um, you know, trying to like pass on their love of a band, and it's like the thing about Depeche Mode is that like that during the 80s and even in the early 90s and stuff even when they were having hits they were also something that people found you you found your way to it like something you would hear about it from someone else or something would speak to you and i i want to see like all of the people that this band has touched that that come together at sn for this because i think it's going to be a really fascinating mix of folks yeah i also think too and this is I think this has is, is been a thing that I've noticed at um, Nash, big Nashville shows uh, for artists that haven't played the city in a long time or something, sometimes haven't played the city ever, um, are the, peop- the amount of people who are big fans who haven't seen the band before, or the younger people who haven't, 
you know, because you're, you're, you know, you're going to get people who um, have a nostalgic attachment to it, maybe who who um, follow the band for years or saw them when they were in high school or whatever. But you also have um, always, have, you know, with a band like that, uh, a generation of fans who might be in their twenties or whatever who. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are seeing the, the band for the first time, and it's you know, it's really not a nostalgia yeah. trip for them. You know, it's yeah. like they're it's they're, they're, they're 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 like living their own experience mm-hmm. um, with it. So I think you know, you'd probably get more fans at at the Ascend show that haven't seen the band before than at like Madison Square Garden, where the band's oh, yeah. played you know Multiple probably a times dozen times, times. You know, yeah. over the years. So like, yeah, I know, and I know, uh, sort of like with the Pet Shop Boys last year. Um, I, I have a lot of friends who would go every tour to see them in Atlanta, you know, just caravan down there and see them there. So, like, you know, having them on your home turf, it's like it's like a special feeling. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a, definitely for the people there. It'll be an event, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a certain way, and, and probably in, in, hopefully in the sense that the band is aware of too. It's also, I think, yeah. the smallest or one of the smallest venues of the tour. Mm-hmm. Ascend is, you know, I've, I've actually never seen a show at Ascend. Oh, okay, but. it's yeah, it's it's um. As far as big venues go, it's, uh-huh. it's about as intimate feeling as a big venue would, would be, you know. Right on. Um, and you can kind of see the whole. You, you know, you always, the thing about a set that's good is that you always feel like you're in Nashville because you see the downtown skyline behind the stage. Ah. And you see the river on one side, and kind of, you know, it, it does. You don't feel removed from the city at all. You know, you, you, it almost is like uh, that feeling of you know if you've ever been to like Lollapalooza in Chicago and you're just sort of surrounded by the city. Mm-hmm. You know, you can never kind of tell that you're not there. Like. <laughs> You see the bridges, and you see like. Yeah. Um, I, so it, 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 I think for the band, it probably you'd assume, you'd think is it a, a welcoming kind of feeling of the city because they're you know you, mm-hmm. from the stage you can see all that too. So if you have a crowd that's like sold out and going nuts, then yeah. you know they'll. Uh, yeah, I always I always loved shows at Starwood because it felt like another world. Right, because it was so removed from everything, just you know, out in the middle of Antioch. And um, but you know I, I I'm psyched to see a, to see a show there finally. Yeah, and it's also good that sold out because you know it means that they're more likely to come back. Yeah, on yeah. on future future endeavors. Indeed, the, the 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 bad taste of that show in '88 gone forever. That's a, that's like that that that's one of the the things I still <laughs> hold against the universe. <laughs> <laughs> And then the well, redemption show, you know. Yeah, a chance yeah. to a chance to rectify to make things right. I wonder if they'll reference it actually on stage. I don't know. Yeah, you know it'd be, be very interesting if they did. <laughs> they're not the chattiest band. On no, stage, not you know, at all. So it's not like, at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that feels like a great place to wrap up. But um, man, thank you guys so much for for coming out for this. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, fun times. Sweet, indeed.